0: Right, How are we doing? Good, 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 good. Um, real fast, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can grab those. We're going to be in 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. We'll get there. There's going to be um, a bunch of different scriptures. Um, it's, it's a little, I guess, I don't know if weird is the right way to describe it for me this morning. Um, let me explain what I mean by that. Weird for me, what I like to do is typically open up uh, the scriptures and just uh, dive into and let's dissect and let's see what God's saying. Let's look at context. Let's look at culture. Let's look at um, what's going on in the scripture. Let let the scripture dictate kind of where we're headed, what, what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be looking at. That's that's what I like to do. That's where I feel most comfortable. So uh, what you'll get from us here is a lot of book study. So we'll just get in a, in a book of the Bible and we'll just start to walk through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just let uh, God's Word do what it's a Uh, called to do. And so um, that's normally kind of the trajectory of of where we head and what we do. Uh, This morning is going to be a little bit different because I believe uh, in order for us to get to that place next week, we need to do some work this week, So this morning is going to kind of be more of like a, a doctrinal or the, uh, theology type. Uh, I don't know if lecture is the right word. I mean, we're still going to look at scripture and let scripture uh, guide us and direct us. But but I feel like there's some things that we just need to define, some things that we just need to really look at and home in on so it can help us uh, get to where we need to be. So this week is going to be looking at what the scriptures are, kind of uh, uh, defining that, looking at those things. And then next week is going to be more of the application of what we do with God's word. Um, so that's 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 kind of the direction for this morning uh, of where we'll be heading. Um, Also want to point your attention to, again, our app as the notes and some things like that will be there on our app. You can go there. Um, I can't remember what it is, but on the menu bar on the very bottom in the middle, you can go there and you can find um, sermon notes. And so you can follow along with the sermon this morning if you'd like to do that. So some of these definitions, some of the things that we'll uh, just be looking at and talking about. Uh, This morning will be found right there in the app, and you can kind of just follow along as we we walk through that. So that's another option for you there uh, as we start our new series, Spiritual Habits. So the game plan is for the next 13 weeks, we are going to look at spiritual habits, kind of get back to the basics of our faith, what we're created to do, what we're meant to do, uh, some of the ordinances of the church, what God has uh, set up for us as the body of believers to be about and to do. And that's going to take us all the way up to Easter. So as I was just praying over the last few weeks and just seeking God and just asking the Holy Spirit just to direct me, press upon my heart for this church, where we need to go, I just believe that we just need to refocus. It's always good as the new year starts or really any time throughout the year just to kind of have those moments where you assess where you're at, what's going on, kind of take the temperature of, of, of where you're at. And as you do that, assess and um, sometimes we need to pull things back into focus. We need to get serious about certain things that that's maybe maybe uh, we've let slide or, or slip to the wayside. And so I just believe we need to be uh, focused. I believe we need to be reminded of the things that would be considered just the basics of our faith things that are very important and vital for us to accomplish and be and do all that Christ has set out for us to be. And so I just believe we need to rally around some, some things, some spiritual habits that's just vital for us as individuals, as well as the body, for us to accomplish and do all that Christ has created us to do. And so I just believe it's important for us as the church to be aligned and we're better to be aligned than the scriptures, right? We're better to be aligned and to find our marching orders than from God's Word, because I believe it's so easy to drift. It, it's so easy to take our eyes off. It's so easy to allow things to get out of focus, and so it's important to know the heart of God, know what He wants for us and what He's created us for, and so uh, I want to try to outline it for a moment. I'm a sports guy, so enjoy sports, and so uh, with sports, there's certain things that you need to do to be successful in sports, and so for me, I enjoy golf, and so what I like to do um, is, is I like to go to the range and hit balls. I like to go out to the course and play. And so I've got some things in my bag here that's going to help me be a better golfer, help me be um, better at what I, what I like to do, enjoy to do. Um, and so what this is, is just a fancy stick you stick in the ground so you don't hit your uh, mailbox. Um, and so what does it have to do with golf? Glad you asked. What I'll do is when I get to the range, kind of get stretched out a little bit, I'll go to my bag, I'll get my alignment stick is what I call it. And so I'll get it, and there's usually flags set out on the range, and so I'll kind of look and see where I want to go, where I want to start to hit balls, and so I'll get my fancy alignment stick, and I'll set it down, and after I set it down, I'll go over to my bag and I'll get my range finder. And so when I get my range finder, pull it out, and I start to look through it. Hey, back there, Daniel. 20 yards away. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and so I'll start to shoot the flags and kind of see uh, where they're at, how far I, what clubs I'll need to be able to accomplish and to shoot at and to, to get what I need to get. And so uh, after that, then I'll come over and I'll pull out my club. I'm going to go with my trusty pitching wedge this morning, right? Because pitching wedge, good place to start, shorter clubs, and then we'll work up to the longer clubs. I read that somewhere. I don't know if that's right or not. Seth, you can talk to me after and let me know. But um, so I'll get my club and I'll kind of stretch a little bit, get, get, get loosened up a little bit more, things like that. I'll get some balls and I'll just do some, some just little chips, things, things of that nature just to kind of get in the groove of it a little bit. And as I do that, then I'll come and I'll come to my fancy alignment stick just to, just to make sure for a second that it's lined up to the flag that I want to go at and make sure everything's parallel and good there. And then what I do is I will step in and I will assume the position. And I will make sure that I'm square because my body needs to be square to the target that it's going to, right? Like if the target's over here and I'm named this way, it's going to go further right that way probably. Or I'm going to whip across it. And I'm going to pull away over here. This is just Golf 101 for you. Just hang with me for a second. There's a point, I promise. Or if I line up open to the target, I'm either going to, and maybe that's what some of you need to do because you cut the ball or slice the ball is the proper terminology there. Um, but, but if you're open up to the target, you'll never be able to hit the target if you're aimed over here, Right? You want to be aimed toward the target. So ball down. I'll get in there. I'll get all square. I'll get an athletic position, right? A little bend at the knees there so we can swing through. I'll slightly open my front foot so I can get through the ball. It allows for my, my hips to get through more and be able to get, get through to the finish. And so then I'll put my club down, make sure I've got, got a good grip, the grip that I need that uh, promotes my swing and make sure I'm not too far out here like this. That's never a good good position here. See when I'm... That's never a good golf position, Right? Okay, good, and I don't want to be up too tall because then, then that makes it weird. And so I'll make sure I'm all squared, foot flared, ready, all squared, like make sure my club face is square to my target line here as well. And then I'll begin to start to swing, begin to start looking at the ball and see, and then I'll let the ball dictate what's happening. What am I doing that I need to do better? Am I coming over the top, which is causing a little fade to it? Am I too far underneath? Am I too handsy and I'm whipping through it and, and pulling it far left? All of those type of things. And depending upon the club, depending, depends on the ball, where the ball placement is in my stance. All of those type things. Because the longer the club, the further up in your stance it's going to be. All of that type of stuff factors in. And what is that called? That's mechanics, right? That's basic. Like, like check, out, check out this video. Maybe this will help illustrate a little bit more what I'm, what I'm talking about. Check, check. And so he's like just saying, like, you got to do that. Get that through. Yeah, like that. Oh, Yeah. That's it right there. (laughs) Never done that. (laughs) This is good. Don't quit buddy, you can do it. That's not a slow motion video either. (laughs) That was live fast speed. (laughs) Not a good swing, right? I don't think his hand placement is going to dictate that swing. This one's good. Watch this. Today. <laughs> wow. Okay, and then we're back to the start. But, but it's crazy because, like I said, there's fundamentals in certain, like, none of those were good, were they? None of those were good and proper. Uh, their, their fundamentals were Horrific. And what they needed was somebody sometime in their life uh, to love them enough to come alongside them. Like, okay, bud, uh, um, let, let's, let's diagnose what's going on. Let's get some of the fundamentals and basics in place. And so as we do that, now we can, we can move on. Now we can start to uh, get you to actually be able to swing the club and do what you need to do. And, and, it, and it, it, it plays true for all sports, right? But I believe it plays true for the church as well. There's certain fundamentals, certain things that we need to look at, that we need to be serious about, that we need to home in on, that we need to evaluate and assess to make sure that there's no drift. Because like those swings, as crazy and as goofy they are, Sometimes the church can do the same thing. We can drift and we can look goofy and we can fight over goofy things or argue over things that aren't primary or, or let certain things sway us and pull us away. And so my hope in this series is that God would just convict us, that he would just draw us, that he would encourage us, uh, just, just bring about a greater joy in him, uh, would allow that to happen. And, and even throughout this series, maybe save the lost that, that come into this room week in and week out that God would just awaken in their heart the reality of their need. And so today what we're going to look at is, like I said, is the Scriptures. We're going to look at God's Word. And so I'm going to ask you if you'd join me as we pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. So, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just move and speak, God, in this place this morning. Father, help us to hear what you have to say. Oh, God, that you would educate us and teach us. God, there, there's a number of things around your Word that we need to know. God, even how it came to be. God, what it means to be inspired, what we actually hold in our hands or on our devices, Father, I pray that we would feel the weight and the real seriousness behind it. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've accomplished and done through your Son. Just then we pray, Amen. So one of the things that we learn about God first right out of the gate is, is God is a God that's going to reveal himself. And the way that he's going to reveal himself is through his word. God speaks. And so what you see, the theme in Genesis chapter 1 is, and God said, and God said. You just see that echo throughout all of Genesis 1. And God said, let there be. And God said, let there And you just see that on repeat over and over and over. And so throughout all the scriptures, actually, you see God speaking. You see God moving and doing. And so God speaking is the very foundation to our faith the very foundation that He reveals Himself and He makes Himself known how through His spoken word. He speaks and He reveals. He speaks and He lets us know. This Creator creates us in His image and He's able to communicate with us. He talks to us. He speaks to us. He pursues us in relationship and He invites us in. And I just love that. And that's what separates our faith from every other faith out there. Our God, our Creator speaks to us. We can know his desires. We can know his will. We can know his plans for us because he speaks to us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to try to figure it out. We, we can just walk in the reality of all that he has said. And all of that is in accordance even despite sin. God still initiates re- relationship with us, how through His Son uh, Jesus. And so that is called revelation. as God reveals himself, as God speaks and, and we can hear and we can interpret and we can understand. And so revelation is all about getting to know God. That's what it is. As He reveals himself, we receive it, we believe it, and then we act upon it through faith. And so how does God reveal himself? three ways, three ways real fast. The first way is through general revelation. God reveals himself through general revelation. And what I mean by that is this, God reveals himself to everyone everywhere. General revelation is God revealing himself to everyone everywhere. Let me, let me show you some scriptures real quick. Psalm 19 one says this, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. What the psalmist is saying is that the heavens, the very, the very sky that we look up into, proclaims the goodness and splendor and greatness of our God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. We can look up and we can see that there's something far greater out there. God has implanted within our hearts this wonder and awe for him, this desire of relationship with him. And we look up and we can see that. Isaiah 6-3 echoes the same thing. It says, the whole earth is full of his glory. So God's Word is revealing that His creation is proclaiming who He is, His greatness, His glory. Romans 1, 19 through 20 says this. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His indivisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. If you've ever questioned if there's a God, what the Scriptures teach and what the Scriptures are saying, here, just look at creation. Look at the order of how things are. Look at how things happen and things go. I mean, look at the trees. Uh, do, do you know what trees do and accomplish the oxygen? It's funny, our little guy right now, he's, uh, this science stuff is hitting him. He's in second grade, and so they're they're doing science stuff. And he's like, yeah, you know, Dad, if we cut down all the trees, we can't breathe. I said, really, buddy, why? We don't have oxygen. They produce oxygen, and oxygen helps us breathe. And I'm like, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, have you thought about that? How intense This world, this creation truly is. There has to be a designer of this creation. And that's what the scriptures are pointing to. Ever since the creation of the world and everything that has been made points to the glory of God. That's general revelation. It's out there for everyone to see. And with general revelation comes common grace. Common grace. What common grace means is this, is is it's for everyone. God's grace is extended for everyone. God reveals his love to all people. This is not in a saving way. This is not in a drawing them to himself, just, just common grace. It, it would be like this. Any Anybody have lost friends? Anybody know anybody lost? Good, okay, okay, so have some lost folk. Um, uh, those lost folk, do they ever eat food and just really enjoy food? Do they ever... Um, go to a game and just enjoy a game, do they ever look out and see a sunrise and be like, wow, or they go to the ocean and just marvel at how big and vast it is or maybe they're mountain people and they go to the mountain and they're just like blown away by by the mountain or on a good nice snowy day that we'll probably never see this year but if there's a nice snowy day that ever comes you just kind of marvel at that. All of that is common grace. God showing his grace to all people, whether lost or saved, where they can see and they can take it in, where God shows who he truly is, how great he truly is, which brings us to special revelation. See, see I believe it's general revelation and common grace that leads to special revelation. And that's, that's where by the Holy Spirit, God presses on someone's soul their great need for him. Presses on their soul their great need for Jesus. God has acted and spoken In such a way as he makes himself known that people will be able to enter into relationship with him. That's special revelation. Where God awakens in the heart of someone, their great need for Jesus. He reveals himself through the incarnation. The incarnation is just simply the second person of the Trinity. Jesus enters human history as the God-man. And through that, we're awakened to the reality of our great need because of our sin that has divided and separated us from God. So, revelation, church, revelation is all about how God speaks, about how God reveals himself to us. That's what revelation is. He speaks and lets us know who he is, lets us know his heart, his nature, his character. So, my question is what's the scriptures? What are the scriptures? And see, the scriptures are just simply God speaking his truth in human words. The scriptures is God speaking, telling us who he is so we can understand, so we can grasp it, so we can come to know him all the more, all the deeper. That's what it is. It's God initiating relationship with fallen man. It's God coming after and making himself known. And see, when you see the word Bible in in Greek, it just means book. When you see Holy Bible, it means holy book. And, And the scriptures are comprised of three different languages. You've got Greek, you've got Hebrew, and you've got Aramaic. You've got all of, all of those type of languages that comprise the originals of what the Scripture is that we know. And, and I guess that's what blows my mind. If you think about Revelation and you think about God's Word and you think about we're in 2020 and when God's Word was, was, was actually spoken, when God spoke through man to reveal who He was. I mean, I mean, the thing that blows me away is the fact that we get together week in and week out in this room and we get to open up and hear the proclamation, not of Scott's words, not of somebody else's words, but, but the holy creator, the holy God of all has spoken and he has given us opportunity to know and to hear what he has to say. All I know is that Scott can say some things and it goes nowhere, but when God speaks, it changes absolutely, positively everything. And so God has spoken and we have opportunity to know it. We have opportunity to hear his heart and to grow in him. This why I just absolutely love And so God's word was written over a period of more than 1,500 years. I mean, think about that for a second. 1,500 years, God's word is compiled and put together over a span of 1,500 years with more than 40, 40 authors varying in ages and professions. I mean, have you ever thought about that for a moment? They didn't get together and try to construct something like, hey, we've got this really good plan. Let's trick the world. Let's, let's, let's do some cool stuff and try to get like the number one best-selling book ever. Like, like there was none of that thought. Over a 1,500-year span, I mean, they, they weren't even aware or knew each other. And over that time, I mean, think about all the different people that God used. I mean, you've got fishermen. What do fishermen know? How to fish. How in the world would they know anything about God? Unless God reveals it to them unless God speaks through them, right? I mean, you've got fishermen, you have kings, you've got the highest of highs, you've got tax collectors who are the lowest of lows, and in that culture, in that world, in that day, in that time, we're, we're uh, despised. These type of people are people who, who uh, God speaks to and uses, the lowest of lows, highest of highs, and everything in between. I mean, real people like you and I, God speaks to their heart, presses upon them, and gives us his word. Did you know that the scriptures were comprised over three different continents? You have Asia, you have Africa, and you have Europe. I mean, think over 40 authors, 1,500 year year span, three continents, and the scriptures are comprised of 66 books. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. The Bible is displayed, God's nature and heart is revealed between the two testaments, and I know in our culture, in our world, there's kind of this, this fight that goes on. Oh, the Old Testament's really not needed. Well, hear me, you won't have a clue about the New Testament if you don't know the Old Testament. The Old Testament is there. Why? Because it reveals God's heart. It, it shows us our history. We get to see His story of how things unfold, how things come to be. We get to know the character and nature of Him all the more. So you have the, the Old Testament. And the way that I like to look at it or think about it is the Old Testament is things promised. And the New Testament, things promises fulfilled things promised in the Old Testament, then what happens? Jesus comes on, so every promise made has been fulfilled in Christ. And so they they fit together perfectly. They intertwine perfectly. And do you know the things that Jesus says is just simply quotes from Old Testament prophets? I mean, did you know that? Jesus busts onto the scene and he really doesn't have a whole lot of new things to say. He just says what's already been said. Why? Because it's God speaking and Jesus is God and Jesus just speaks what he's already said. That's what the Old Testament is, and it's beautiful, and it's lovely, and it's put together in such a way to point us to the heart and nature of our God. And I know the argument is, well, God in the Old Testament was cranky and grumpy and just like to zap people. And then you got Jesus that comes along, and he's nice and neat, and he just loves everybody. And, and I would argue opposite. No, no, no. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So the God of the Old Testament is the exact same God of the New Testament. There's mercy and grace wrapped up in the Old Testament. There's salvation offered. There's, there's a number of things that happens in the Old Testament. And I would argue with you it's the same thing in the New Testament. Love, grace, mercy, promise fulfilled. So the scriptures are comprised of, of 66 separate books. Did you know that in 1205, Stephen Langton, this theology professor who became the Archbishop of Canterbury, he began using Bible chapters. So we first see the chapters of the, of the Bible introduced in 1205. And the thing that we need to know, church, is this, is that, is that the Bible that we have, the majority of that just, is just letters, like the New Testament is just letters written to people. Like you have the book of Galatians. And what would happen is Paul would pin the letter, pen this letter to the church at Galatia. And so they would gather and he wouldn't say, okay, church, now, now grab your, your copy of the uh, Galatians and turn to chapter. No, there was none of that. It was just a letter. And so they would gather. And as they would gather, he would start to, they would start to read the scriptures, what they had, this letter from Paul. And they didn't even really know the scriptures. And they would begin to, to read this letter from the apostle Paul that was inspired by God. And they would do it in one setting. And so what happens in 1205, Stephen, he puts chapters in there. Why? So it would be easier to maneuver through. So we'd be able to, to find where we need to be so we could see, so we could have the scriptures ourselves, and, and, and know where to go. And then Robert Stevenson, a, a different gentleman, a Protestant, a book printer, he, he was condemned a heretic for printing Bibles. And so he made verse divisions. And, and, and his system was the first English Bible, the Geneva New Testament, in 1557. So they put chapters and they put verses in there, and hear me. Bible chapters and Bible verses uh, were not applied with any uh, consistent method. Or, or, or while they're helpful, they're they're not authoritative. So, so, as you open up your Word, as you look at the Bible, and as you see uh, chapter fifty-four, verse seven, or, or you flip over to the Gospels and you you see those nice little uh, logs in the front paying taxes to Caesar they're there to try to help direct us they're there to try to help us be able to flip through to make it easy to be able to get to why because it was just comprised in, in just one big portion together but they're not authoritative the chapters and verses are not inspired they're there to help us be able to navigate so though paying taxes to caesar may be what that's about that's not authoritative that's just to help us kind of guide and kind of know and to see what's going on and what's taking place. And so we have to read to gain context. We have to, to read and dive in and see what God's Word is really saying, what, he, what He's speaking of and, and looking there and understanding that sometimes uh, that, that little break is in a, not a good place. And, and those little breaks and those little headings can hurt us if we don't go back and look at context. Church, context is always important when we look at Scripture. Because, hear me, it can never mean for us what it didn't mean for the original, original recipients. Like, do you get that? Though we open up and we look at this and we read this, we've got to know context. We've got to know culture. We've got to know what God's doing in that day. And it can never mean for us what it didn't mean for them. And hear me, the day the church begins to dictate this, instead of letting this dictate the church, is the day she starts to fall apart and not become a church. You hear me? The day that we leave this thing open for uh, interpretation of however we want it and we don't let it say what God meant for it to say is the day that we start to fall apart from the inside. So we hold to this. We hold to this with everything in us. So who wrote the Bible? Who are the authors? It's it's a great question because it's a question I believe that we need to know to answer because it's, it's, it's almost like two, but really one, let, let me let me try to explain so you have human authors as i've said you've got kings and you've got peasants you've got philosophers you've got fishermen poets you've got statesmen you've got doctors you've got scholars all of those is who god used to to comprise and and write the scriptures and you've got the book books of the bibles that include history there's a lot of history if you look old testament even new testament there's some history there's sermons right jesus sermon on the mount uh, Peter uh, at Pentecost when he stands up to proclaim God's word—that's a, a sermon. You see sermons. You see letters as as Paul pins letters to certain people at certain places. Young Timothy as he writes to Timothy, first and second Timothy. You see letters to people. You see poetry. I mean, if you look at Psalms and some of the Proverbs, you've got, you've got poetry there. We've got to understand what we're reading. You've got love letters. I mean, you've got all of those things that comprise the Scriptures. And so the books of the Bible are written both by God and man. But hear me, it's not co-authored. The Bible is written by God and man, but it's not co-authored. God and man did not get together and collaborate on what to write. And I think that's some of the problem with the church today in regards to God's Word. In regards to God's Word. like We think that we have something to take to him to, to bring him up to speed on 2020. Yeah, like, like, like we can offer God something. Like, like, like we can give to God something that he needs. That's not how this works. God didn't ask us our opinions. Okay, Paul, can you come here for a second? We, we need to go over here for a moment. And I'm like, I'm thinking about this thing that I'm wanting to put in my word. And I just need to get your opinion for a second. And, and right now, like, like, dude, like you're kind of on fire and so, like, like I, I just, I'm going to need you to help me kind of understand those people. He created them, did he not? He doesn't need us to help him understand us. God's word is unchanged. Why? Because it's alive and it's moving and it reaches to the farthest depths. The heart of man. The greatest problem in this world is not stuff, but it's the heart of man. That's the problem. Like I could remember a few years ago sitting um uh, sitting in a meeting and talking about like how tobacco and alcohol use in in uh, district 2 is at the highest of all districts. And they begin to offer ideas of how to fix it. And I don't know why they asked people from the church to come. But they did, they invited us and we're there and they're, they're asking all these questions and like, like, we need to get these programs in there and we need to educate and let's show the dude without the jaw that, that has to, to drink through right here and speak, when, and, and it's like all this like, let's do all this stuff and scare him to death. And I think fear's a good motivator to a point. And so I, I can remember just halfway through the meeting, I'm like, that's great that you wanna do all of this and I think we should be educated and we should know what all that stuff does. I said, if you want to get to the heart of the matter, you've got to get to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem, as great as all that stuff is, is the heart of the kids. That's the root. Not not the parents. It's the heart of the kids. You want to fix the problem, you diagnose it. As you diagnose it, you know what it is. Then you go after it. And the problem is fallen man. That's the problem. I've never been invited back because what that does is that just ends all the programs and then people don't get to make all this money and all this stuff. But anyways, we've got the answer, church, and it's right here. And the answer is it tells us the truth about us. That's what God's revealed word does. And he doesn't need our help knowing that. Why? Because he created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Think about that for a moment. I mean, who says to the creator? I I mean, I've tried putting furniture together. And I've got a four year degree, for goodness sakes. And it's like an act of God just to get that. I I mean, you bathe that chair in prayer, praying to God that it fits, you know? Who says to the Creator, nobody, God and man did not collaborate to write this? That's not how it works. No, no, people were providentially prepared by God and motivated and superintended by the Holy Spirit. They spoke and wrote according to their own personalities and circumstances in such a way that their words are the very words of God. God, God, God. I mean, that was old school, wasn't it? God said. Back to the basics, man. English 101. Let me read that again because I feel this is too big for us to miss. People were providentially prepared by God and motivated and superintended by the Holy Spirit. They spoke and wrote according to their own personalities and circumstances. How in such a way that their words are the very words of God. God presses upon their heart and they pen, they write, and they speak exactly what God would have them write and speak. it's not man's words, it's God's. And that's, con- that's called divine inspiration. It's God-breathed. Now look at Second Timothy 3.16. And that's exactly what Paul writes Timothy and reminds him. He says all scriptures, just the New Testament, no. Just the Old Testament? No. And what's in reference here is the, is the law, the Torah. The Torah is the law. The first five books of the Bible, the, the commandments. That's, that's what's in, in, in being called to, to attention here, all Scripture. But I would even venture to say New Testament, Old Testament, all of it is inspired by God. Why? Because that's what God's Word says. It's inspired. It's breathed out by God and it's profitable for what? For teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So when we look at this and we see this, what we know about the Bible and who wrote the Bible is that it's God-breathed. It's inspired. It's the process by which God worked through the human authors of the Bible to communicate his revelation, to make himself known. The term God-breathed refers to God as the ultimate source of scriptures. It's not man's idea. It's God's heart. You get that, church? Not man's idea, but it's God's heart. Let me, let me try to explain a little bit some inspiration of scripture. In the Old Testament, even though we're um, not given a window into the very moment when the Old Testament prophets would uh, put their oral prophecies into writing, I think it's fair to say that, that, they, that they knew God was giving them words of, of his to speak, not their own words. And so God would also take care to help them preserve those words when their uh, or other words came that they would be recorded and written down. And so if you look up in a concordance, church, if you look up in a concordance, how many times in the Old Testament the phrase, thus says the Lord, occurs, you're going to find in the ESV translation that it occurs more than 417 times. 417 times, thus says the Lord. Is that man? Is that Paul? Is that, is that Moses? No, that's God speaking through them, thus says the Lord. I mean, it's huge. That's only the thus says the Lord's. Uh, there might be some others that say, says the Lord, or says God, or God says. There, there may be hundreds and hundreds of, of other various wordings, but 351 of those occur in the Old Testament in the book of the prophets. 351. In, in some cases, you have God himself who says to the prophet that they should say, thus says the Lord, just like over in Jeremiah 11.3. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord. God tells Jeremiah what to say. Or or Zechariah 6.12, and and say to them, thus says the Lord. Or you have Isaiah 38.5, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David. You have God speaking through man. God presses upon, superimposes on them what he would have them say. And the point is that God intended for his authoritative spokemen to know that they were speaking authoritatively for him. Not on their own behalf. Not on their own power. Not on their own wisdom, their own intellect. No, they lean in and they allow the Holy Spirit, they allow God to press upon them and use them. In the New Testament, you have Paul, and he says to the Corinthians, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that, that we might understand these things freely given us by God. And we impart this not in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. That's what Paul says over in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 7, 10, and then 12 through 13. And so what we do is we see a glimpse into how Paul sees the way that his writings are going to play out. He sees and he understands that this is from God, not him. So we go from human words taught by the Spirit to the writings over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 37 through 38, where where it says this, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or they're spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And so what Paul is doing is he's tying those two thoughts together. 1 Corinthians 2 and then here, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, he sees his writings as having authority. The same authority referred to there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Which every other claim of prophecy should come under that authority. Everything. You've got the Apostle John writing in the book of Revelation. I believe this is another great example in the New Testament of of God moving and using. And he says this in Revelation 1 through 3. He says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the uh, the things that he must soon take, that, that soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it from, for the time is near, is what he says in Revelation chapter one, one through three. See, John saw and understood and got that these are the authoritative words of God. That it's not his wisdom, not his smarts, that he can't add not one thing. He, he, it, it appears that he received that special revelation, that he knew that it was from the Lord. And so church, hear me, our security in the Scriptures doesn't come from personal claims of, of each biblical author. It, instead, it comes, from, it comes from God's glory that shines through God's Word when the Holy Spirit awakens in us to be it, the ability to see and cherish it for what it truly is. And it's His Word. It's His Word so I believe that the Scriptures make some pretty incredible claims about themselves. See, over in 2 Timothy 3.16, as I've mentioned, it's inspired by God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, they're the very words of God is what it tells us. All we need to know about God is recorded there, Luke 16.29. It's a perfect guide for life, Proverbs 6.23. God's Word is pure, Psalms 12.6. It's true, Psalm 160. It's trustworthy, is what Proverbs 35 through 6 teaches. It's perfect, Psalm 19, 7. It's powerful. God's word is power, Hebrews 4, 12. And God's word is for everyone, Romans 16, 25 through 27. That's what God's word is. That's what it does. That's what it's going to accomplish. It reveals who he is. It makes known our creator, our God. So what is the canon of scripture? What does that even mean? See, in the Greek and Hebrew, the meaning of canon means rule or measuring rod. It's the rule or measuring rod. The canon of Scripture is the collection of books that the church has recognized as having divine authority in matters of faith and doctrine. You you want to know about faith, you get in God's Word. You want to know about doctrine, doctrine, the right understanding, the right knowledge, the right learning of who God is, what, what His standards are, the theology, the study of God. You get in His Word. It reveals who He is. It tells us who He is. And so what is the criteria for canonicity, for the books of the Bible to be canonized? When it's, there's conformity to the rule of faith, the, the first rule, the first filter that it's got to go through to, to, to make sure, is this book worthy of being a part of the inspired word of God? Does this fit, that there's, there's got to be conformity to the rule of faith? Did the, did the book conform to orthodoxy, meaning accepted doctrine or practice? Does it conform to that? The Christian truth recognizes normative in the churches. Does it go through that? Does it line up perfectly? And the thing I love about the scriptures is from Genesis to Revelation, over that 1,500 year span, three continents, over 40 authors of all different walks of life, there's no discrepancy. There's none. It, it doesn't contradict itself, it doesn't throw off, it doesn't speak badly about, it, it lines up perfectly. Who God is, his nature, his character, his plan. I mean, think about that. Th- think about that for a moment. I mean, how many of us would it take, if we, if we got together, how, how, would, how hard would it be for us to agree on something? I'm not going to meddle, I promise. Maybe. We'll see where God takes us. But you know what I'm saying? For, for us to get together and agree on something, you've got over 40, 40 people who, who God used to record his word. One central theme, God's glory. One central theme in the scriptures. It's all about God, his nature, his character, his love for us. Lines up perfectly. So you got the first criteria for, for it to be accepted in the canon. The next one is apostolicity. What I mean by that is, was the writers of the book an apostle or did the writers of the book have immediate contact with an apostle? In, in order for it to be considered, it had to go through that. And then the last one is catholicity. And what I mean by that is this, did the book have widespread and continuous acceptance and usage by churches everywhere? And, and those are the filter that it had to run through. Which brings me to the question, can I trust it? Can I trust it? And so what I want to do is I want to try to use some weighty words to answer those questions, and I want us to look at a few of those real quick because we say these words, and and these, these are things that we're willing to die for. Do you know how many men and women died preserving this? The number of people who lost their life because of this book, not living it out, but I'm talking about preserving it and keeping it, following it, hiding it to do whatever they have to do to preserve it, So can we trust it? So the first word we like to use a lot is inerrancy. Inerrancy. To say that the Bible is inerrant. The position that the Bible affirms no falsehoods of any sort. That is, it is without fault or error in all that it teaches. In matters of history, science, as well as faith. Inerrancy allows for literary devices such as metaphors, round numbers, and non-formal expressions. So we say that God's word is inerrant. We say that it's infallible and it's a position that the Bible cannot err or make mistakes and that it is completely trustworthy as it guides to salvation, to the life of faith, and it will not fail to accomplish its purpose. See, as the Christian church has traditionally taught, this doctrine is based on the perfection of the divine author who cannot speak error. It's based on God that he is infallible that God can't lie, God won't lie, that what he says is true always and forever. And if that's the case and God has spoken and he has used men to record that, then it is good and perfect without error. The last word I want to look at is this, is that God's word is sufficient. Now, all that is needed to know and believe regarding salvation and what pleases God is found in the scriptures. It's sufficient. It will suffice. It's enough. We don't need other books to help us. We don't need other books to kind of come along and like make little asterisks and they say, okay, that that was good for that day, but we're going to go this way. We don't need, it's sufficient, it's enough. God's word in 2020 is just as enough as it was in in 1980, as it was in 1750, as it was in, in 1400. God's word is God's word and it's pure and it's good and it's sufficient and it's enough and we don't need other. There's nothing else God has to say. So if somebody comes along and says, well, God has said this, okay, brother, sister, let's find out. You show me where it is and we'll look at it and we'll visit it together and we'll make sure that is exactly what God has said because, listen, God doesn't have new revelation for us. God has spoken and said everything that he needs to say and it's been recorded in his beautiful word. So I just want to give you some ammunition here for a second because I think it's important because the world comes at us and I just, I just want you to know this, that most variations in the Scripture, they have to do with spelling or stylistic changes, such as an adding a conjunction. I mean, think about that for a moment. Just think about that. Like, like, like the, the spellings are the major errors in Scripture. So when things are pointed out toward us, but you can't trust that there's error in it. You know you're, it's right. And so instead of John being like J-O-H-N, maybe it's just J-O-N. It's stuff like that. It it changes nothing in regards to the meaning and the heart of what the scriptures are. And then listen to this for a moment. In the New Testament, we have 14,000 ancient copies with fragments no later than 100 years after the original books and letters. 14,000 ancient copies. Less than 1% of all the variations have anything to do with doctrine, and no doctrine is affected by any of the variations. We have so many manuscripts to check that we are virtually certain the text of over 99% of the Bible is faithful to the original manuscripts. There's so many that we can look at, that we can see that, that we can know that. That's what God's Word, that's what God has done to preserve His Word. And it's not just something that was made up on the fly. It's not just something that the goofy little church comes along and they want their little Jesus and they're going to do whatever they got to do to get it and they're going to say all this crazy stuff and be a killjoy for the world. That's not what God's word is. God's word leads us into life. So when he gives us commands, when he speaks, it's not because he wants to, uh, he does want to ruin our life Why? so we will have life in him and find it in him. But, but he doesn't do it to be a killjoy. No, he gives it so we can have life and life to the full. More abundant is the word. I, want a, I don't want just life. I want abundant life. And what I, what I have learned and what I've come to know is that when we submit to, when we follow, when we do what God's word says, that's exactly what he'll do by way of the Holy Spirit. Lead us into life. So why, why go at it like this this morning? Why, why talk about these things? It's because I believe that we as the church need to know what we hold in our hands, what we have on our devices this morning. We need to know and understand what we've got. We, we have access to it any and all times. The God of the universe speaking, it's recorded for us. Church, hear me. His word is sufficient. It's all we need to know, God. It's all we need to know to, to be saved. It's all we need sufficient. It's sufficient. There's great clarity in God's word. It can be understood even to the simplest minds. It's authoritative. It, it shows the right God has over our lives, and it's necessary because without it, we cannot correctly see God for who, his, who he is. And so what I want to do as the band comes, I just want to read a scripture that I believe just outlines the things that we've talked about. That shows us a, a scripture that I visit often, just to be reminded of. Psalms one one says this as they come up. It says, "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers." And the word "blessed" here means to have, uh, to be happy, to have have joy, deep, abounding joy. He says, "But his delight, this man that's blessed, or it can be woman, or it can be family, or it can be anybody, but the one that is blessed is is the one who does this in verse two, but meditates." on his law. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What is his law? It's his word. It's God's revealed word at this time. That's what it is. It's the law. You want to be blessed, you get in his word. And you don't do it for the blessing, you do it to know God. And in knowing God, you get get blessed like you would never believe. And then look at what he says in verse 3. He says, he's like a tree. What, who? The blessed man? Who? The blessed man who's in God's word, who meditates on it day and night? I mean, I mean, who does that? Who talks like Who lives like that? God's word? Day and night? I don't know, but I, I said something I, I thought it was pretty good last week. And um, I, I, it was so good that I still remember what I said. And, and it just hit me as I was talking about my mentor and was ta- I was kind of giving that picture of how committed to the word he was and how every night, regardless, he would always climb in bed and he would have us interns around him and we'd open up the word and we'd talk about it. And he made the statement that you're never too tired for God's word. If you do, then you need to cut some other stuff out of your life. If you get to the end of your day and you're that tired or in the morning you're that tired and you can't get up and get in God's word or through the day you can't, you can't you're so tired or so busy, you can't get, then you need to cut some other stuff out of your life, not God's word. That's not where you start cutting. You, you cut other stuff and I don't know why, but that just pierced me last week. I just felt the Holy Spirit said, Scott, have you forgot that? And then when I read scriptures like this, who meditates on his day and night? And then I had the privilege to do a devotion Thursday night here as we had thirteen men come play basketball. Man, that's a great ministry. The- the- church, we had thirteen people that-, that don't darken the doorstep other than on Thursday night to play basketball. Setting in the corner, listening and hearing what? God's Word. Not Scott's thoughts, God's Word. And it's something that happens week in and week out as they proclaim and hear me. If you want to come play basketball, come play basketball on Thursday nights. That is a great mission field right there. Opportunity to get to meet 13, 13. There's a 17-year-old there up to, I'm a 36-year-old. And everything in between and above, we don't care. I mean, God's Word and there's lives there that we can invest in. This one guy was telling me as he was coming, he's like, yeah, I was trying to get there fast, man. And I got pulled over. I'm like, oh no. I'm like, I was wondering, like, does, he, does he want us to cover that? I'm trying to think, where's he going here? He's like, and the police officer comes up to him. He's like, hey, I'm going to New Life. He's like, I've heard of New Life. And they had this conversation about the church. And I'm like, we all should get pulled over. And no, I'm joking. But he comes and he gets here and he plays basketball with some friends and we get to talk and we get to joke around and I get to throw some elbows. They're young kids, they can take it. And they get God's Word, and I, I opened up this scripture that day, that Thursday night, and I got to share that with them. I'm like, guys, you want to be blessed? And, and it hit me. I mean, who lives like that? You meditate on God's Word day and night. You chew on it. You desire it. You want it. And you know what? The crazy thing is, is that this world has been stupid-proofed for us. There's a Bible app that will send out a verse of the day every single day. And so you know what I've done to try to make a practice of getting this in my heart and in my mind? Because I'm going to be honest with you. The pastor of this church doesn't desire God's word like what what the psalmist is saying here. And so I'm praying that God breaks my heart. And for some reason, he pierced it last week when I said, you're never too tired for God's word. If I am, then I need to cut other things out. I need to give up some stuff. Why? Because this is the source of life, church. It's God's word. The creator has spoken to us. The one that knows us better than ourselves. The one that desires and loves us and can actually do something for us, wants to talk to us. And how lazy we are and how we claim all this other stuff. And it is too easy for us today. I can pull out my phone and on my app, there's a the verse of the day. And you know what I can do at 10 o'clock, I can pull it out and that verse is there and I can look at it and I can think about it again and, and, and let it change me, begin to just, just, just permeate my heart and the darkness in me. And you know what, lunch is coming, I can pull it out again and look, it's one verse. And then at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, before I go home right at, at 5 in the evening. Seven o'clock after we eat dinner, I can pull it up, I can read it at the dinner table with my family. Hey guys, you know what the verse of the day is? Let me share it with you for a second. All the day, what is that doing? It's causing me to think, it's causing me to remember, it's causing me to chew on it. And all I know is whenever I read this Psalm 1, I want to be blessed. I do. I want to delight in his law and his word. I want to meditate on it. And look what it's in three. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its. I want to be fruitful. I want to be fruity. Who wants to be fruity with me you know what i'm saying what that means is this is that god's going to produce in you a tree is designed to do something to produce fruit is what the scripture tells us and how does that happen because we're nourished by god's word so it produces fruit like a tree planted by streams of water yields its fruit in its season sleep does not wither and then i love this part and all that he does what happens he prospers God, me, I want to prosper. Hear me, church, you will never prosper if you're not in God's word. It just won't, won't happen because this is the source of strength that we get. This is it right here. And so this morning for us, my hope was this, is that once we saw how it come to be, next week we can look at what we need to do with it. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart this morning in regards to his word, but I want you to know it's not just some book that some crazy guys got together one day and made up and tried to create and for whatever reason it's just taken off and it's sold like hotcakes and it's on fire. It's the very word of our God. Father, help us this morning in this place. Speak to our hearts. Do a work in us. God, it's inspired by you. Jesus, we need you. Speak. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand, respond however God's put on your heart. I'll be here to love to talk more about God's Word, about what it means to have a relationship with Him. If you need to come pray, whatever we can do to serve you in this moment, but you be obedient to the Lord.